Today, we learn how to use sacred herbs for healing, divination, protection, magic, and contacting spirits. Hey, it's Cheryl Sitz, back with another episode of Exploring Possibilities, broadcasting our entire library of shows on journeyofpossibilities.com, and now published through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, CastBox FM, and YouTube.com slash Cheryl Sitz. We will speak with Ellen Everett Hopman in just a moment. As a professional broadcaster of 30 years, there is so much I can do to help you find your voice because you know what? People are looking for you out there and we want them to find you. So we could work together to to produce like some short conversations, sharing what you do so that others can learn more about it. Maybe you want to have a teaching moment on your website. We can help you create that stuff. Mario has a lot of experience with all things technology. So Mario, how else can we help them? Well, that's the beautiful thing about who we are. It's like we actually have the capability to put you on the Internet in every way. I mean, we can put you on Instagram. We can put you on Facebook. We can put you on YouTube and give you some pointers of how to do it. I had somebody the other day say, well, I've never done a YouTube live. I don't know how to do it. We can teach them that. Yes, definitely. That's one of the things because we the way you and I work, we like to empower everybody. So rather than them relying on us, I mean, we can do that for them for the few first few ones. But we really want you to take charge of it. And you can see what all is involved. We do it with our energy work. We do it with our coaching. And we do it with our online skills. We empower you to reach more people and make a bigger difference. Contact us, CherylSits.com. And MarioRosales.com. Ellen Everett Hopman is a Druid priestess, herbalist, and author. A professional member of the American Herbalist Guild, Ellen teaches a monthly herbal intensive course in Massachusetts. She's written several books, and I'm so glad that Inner Traditions Publishing contacted me about her latest, Sacred Herbs of the Samhain. We'll discuss that book today and just a few weeks before the big holiday. Her website is EllenEverettHopman.com. Welcome to the show, Ellen. Thank you very much for having me. I'm so glad that you could take the time to join us. And I love the timeliness of this show. We're right in October. It's perfect. Right. We're in the Samhain season. I love that. Well, before we jump into the book, which is a good book to jump into, so I'm eager to do that, but could we get a little idea of your background? It sounds like you've been working with plants for a long time. Well, I have, yes. (laughs) I, I did my formal studies, I guess you would say, back in the early 80s, believe it or not, 1983. I apprenticed with William Lasassier in New York City for five months. But um, once you start on this path of herbalism, you never stop learning. So I went on from there. Um, I studied at the National Center for Homeopathy, and so I'm basically a lay homeopath. Um, and, you know, you go to conferences, you go to herb festivals, and you're just always learning. You just never stop. So uh, it's an ongoing process. And um, I, every, every month, every year, I learn more and more. I just keep going, and it's, it's a lifelong pursuit. Yes, it is, because there's so much that we can benefit from nature, from the plants, and a lot of that has just been forgotten in our culture in this modern world. And so I'm so delighted when I can meet people like you that can help us remember some of the amazing things that plants can do for us. I really strongly feel that we don't need the pharmaceutical community, maybe at all in the way that it exists today, as much as we could rely on plants for so much, not just healing, but quality of life, right? Well, that's true. But I, I like to 
to practice what's called complementary medicine, which is take the best of both worlds, because if you're in really severe pain, you know, if you've been in an accident and your bones are broken and, um, you know, something really dire happens, uh, you want to go to the emergency room. I mean, there are times when that you need that, or you might need surgery, you know, go to the emergency room, go to the hospital. But for long-term constitutional conditions, um, for very short-term little acute conditions, you know, little wounds and scrapes and maybe a sore throat, things like that, absolutely go to the plants. Um, the pharmaceuticals are often very, very concentrated. They, they, they look, when they do look at plants, what they look for is the quote-unquote active principle. So they isolate one little tiny part of the plant, and then when you swallow a pill, that's what you're swallowing is just that active principle, and that's not the way it exists in nature, and it's very hard on your body because we've evolved for millions of years uh, to eat plants and medicate with plants and be part of plants, and um, our bodies literally don't know what to do with it. So in a lot of cases, the pharmaceuticals can end up causing uh, what they call side effects, but they're actually effects. You should just call them effects, right. you know, um, and they're very harsh that way often. But if you're in a real dire emergency situation, you better go to the emergency room. That's what I always say. Thank you for clarifying that. Yes, absolutely. I, I'm in alignment with that too. If it's, if it's life or death, if you're in, in severe pain, absolutely. I just think that we've gotten kind of lazy to, if anything hurts at all, we want to take a pill and feel better. And so much of it can be proactively done through diet and then, and then in just bringing some of these plants into our daily life through teas, through you present a, a myriad of ways that we can work with plants in this book, even though I'm not sure if that was your initial purpose in this book. I think it's a great handbook beyond Samhain for just learning about plants and how we can work them into our daily life. Well, I, in all my books, I try to do that. I have quite a few books out now, I think 15 wow. <laughs> at this point. But yeah, in all my books, um, what I try to do is cover very practical how to, you know, how to make a tincture, how to make a salve, how to make a poultice, you know, all the really basic hands-on herbal stuff. Um, and then I also go into the lore. And then uh, more and more, I've been trying to work with foods, as you mentioned. But um, so I have a lot of recipes so that people can not only use the plants as medicine, but they can incorporate them into their diet, you know, into their lunches and dinners and celebrations. That's what I've been trying to do more and more. It's a very interactive book in that way. I enjoyed moving through it. There is background and lore. There's a lot about the plants. There are recipes and ideas and suggestions. What inspired this particular book? Well, actually, there's a festival in uh, New Hampshire it's called Celebrate Salon, and I go there every year, and the man who organizes it, I actually thanked him in the acknowledgments because, um, you know, every year I talk to him on the phone and I say, hey, Kevin, what do you want me to talk about this time? And he <laughs> usually throws out a suggestion, you know, and he said, well, a couple of years ago, he said, well, why don't you talk about um, herbs for Salon? I said, herbs for Samhain, <laughs> you know, I'd, I just hadn't even thought that way. And so then I started looking into it. And sure enough, 
there's plenty of herbs for salads, and uh, I had no idea. So I, thanks to Kevin, I, I first I came up with a lecture, which I presented at Celebrate Salon about the herbs of Salon, and then being me, this is what I do. Once I have an idea, it usually turns into a book. <laughs> That's what's been happening since the 80s. You know? <laughs> so it became a book, and then when I was done with this one, I actually have the next one coming out in April of 2020, which is called The Sacred Herbs of Beltane, which is May Day, which is the opposite end of the year. And um, that's a whole other, you know, that's a completely different uh, kettle of fish, as they say, because it's all about spring and um, love and, you know, things like that, which is very different from Salon. Salon is all about the dead. Right. One is about birth and one is about death and, and they both complete the whole. So it's great that you're going to have that. So I think those two together would make some really interesting talks too. So I, in our culture, we've heard of Halloween down in the Southern part. We've definitely heard of day of the dead and we have a lot of celebrations of that down here, but maybe not as familiar with Samhain. So I suppose we should start there. What is Samhain? Well, um, the, the day of the dead is actually a I believe it's a Catholic festival. Um, it may be that the indigenous people in Mexico had it before the Christians got there, but I don't think so. Um, what happened in Europe was Samhain um, was a Celtic festival, and it was a very holy day. The two holiest days of the year, actually, are Samhain and Beltane, which is May Day, because one May Day starts the summer and Samhain starts winter. There were only two seasons for the Celts, mm-hmm. summer and winter. Um, and they were both equally, you know, we, in Halloween, which is our vague memory of Samhain, it's, it's our modern memory of, of what used to be, be done, but in Halloween, uh, we still think in terms of ghosts and goblins and and spooky things. You know, in the old days, May Day or Beltane was the exact same way. It was a time when the walls between the worlds were very thin, so it was much easier to communicate with the ancestors and the dead and the fairies, mm-hmm. both of those times. So what we call Halloween is just a modern memory of Samhain, and then um, the Catholic Church, and they did this with all the pagan festivals, they basically took them over and we say co-opted them, but they, <laughs> they, uh, they took them and they made them their own. So Day of the Dead and, wait, what are the two? There's two Catholic holidays. Um, oh, I can't remember. Anyway, they, had, they have two days. But um, they took that from the Celts. So... The, this is the time when the Celts honored their ancestors, and it wasn't anything, you know, negative. Um, for some reason, well, I guess it was the church that did that. The church turned it into something bad or ooky or black or negative or scary. You know, it wasn't like that. It was a little scary because the fairies were around, and you didn't want to be taken by the fairies. <laughs> but you weren't scared of your ancestors. It was about honoring your ancestors. And in the book, I actually uh, talk about the dumb supper. Yes, you and do. And dumb, it doesn't mean dumb as in stupid. It means dumb as in silent. It's a silent supper. And um, that is a memory. It's a fairly modern um 
that we can't find any ancient references to that, but it goes back to the Middle Ages. That is a memory of what the Celts would do all year round. Um, Every time they had a festival or a feast, a family feast or a big gathering, um, they would always put a plate out for the ancestors. And uh, on holidays, religious holidays, they would always put plates of food out for the goddesses and the gods. Mm -hmm. And that was just a very polite thing to do. Plus, you wanted to be in a family relationship with deities. That was the best way to get them to help you. Um, If you fed them, if you had a place for them at the table, or if you left food on the altar and made offerings to them or in the barn, um, they're going to think of you as their family because you're feeding them. And um, they also didn't feel that the ancestors went anywhere. Just because your grandmother was dead didn't mean that she was gone, you know. She was still around. So you're making offerings to fairies, offerings to ancestors, um, offerings to the deities. And um, it was just a part of life. It was a very respectful thing to do. Um, And it was a reciprocal relationship, a family relationship. That's just a beautiful description of it. And, you know, it kind of really further illuminates how our culture has gotten so weird about death. We don't talk much about it. And when someone dies, we put them in the ground and then we may bring them up tearfully at the holidays because we miss them, but it's not celebrating them as our ancestors and keeping them in our family and realizing that maybe they're still right here in spirit Mm -hmm. form and we can't see them. I just think books like this may help us realize there's a lot more going on here than what we've maybe been led to believe in recent years. Yeah, I mean, we've sanitized death to the point where it's considered impolite, you know, to to talk about it. If you're grieving, you're supposed to stay quiet. You're not supposed to talk about it all the time. That's not polite, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so there was an interesting thing. I'm I'm really into numerology, and so I picked up when you were talking about since you brought up the dumb supper There was even something about numerology tied to that with the number nine. You want to talk about that? Well, the number nine in Celtic thinking just means many things. So you could apply it to, you know, we still say the whole nine yards. That's an expression (laughs) that we have. Um, We've kept that because that's the length of a great kilt. A Scottish great kilt is nine yards of material. Um, But uh, nine means a lot. So if you say beyond the ninth wave, that means you're far out to sea. You're beyond the ninth wave. Um, Nine league boots. Um, I'm trying to think of other nine things, but the number nine just means it also. Well, it also means transformation, as you know, death Mm -hmm. and transformation. Um, It means that you're going, you're going on a journey. You're going far enough that you're going to transform, something's going to change, something's going to happen. But, I mean, the number nine was was very much part of the culture. Um, If somebody uh, broke the law, if they were really bad, say they murdered somebody, and the the clan decided that they wanted to get rid of them, they didn't kill them. What they did was they put them in a, a coracle, which is a round leather boat, and they dragged them out beyond the ninth wave, with no oars, <laughs> and left them out there beyond the ninth wave. Uh-huh. And um, then the person would, the boat would invariably come back and land somewhere, 
And wherever the boat landed, the criminal or the, the perpetrator would get out of the boat and they would walk until they came to a, a, a settlement, a village, and they would have no rights. They would They would be a slave at that point. So even if it was a prince or a princess, if they had been dragged out beyond the ninth wave and then they came back to shore, they had no status. And they would be put to work, um, you know, cleaning out pig styes or whatever the worst possible work was um, in the village. That's what they had to do. I thought I read that there were nine foods that were prepared for the for the supper. Oh, okay, yeah, that's another. It's just another example of that. Yeah, it's um, the number nine is again, it's transformation. It's death and transformation. Because the next number is 10, which is 1, as you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is where you start over. Right. So, yeah, so, yeah, the number 3 is, re- I mean, this is a whole subject. Right, you know, right, right. Each each number has very specific meanings in Celtic, Celtic culture. The number 3 is very important. Um, it's a very sacred number. The high gods are all triple, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Like the Morrigan is three goddesses in one. Bridget is three goddesses in one. The high gods are always triple. So what is nine? Nine is three threes. So that's really powerful. So right? it was a lot richer in the culture. Like it, I, what I found interesting was numerology used to be such a part of the culture that they would use that to determine how many dishes to cook to further honor the nine energy of the dinner itself. Yeah. And we oh, don't yeah. really think about that stuff today. We don't think about numerology. There's so much that we really don't think about anymore that was a part of the cult, deeply a part of the culture at one time. Well, if, if anyone's interested in that stuff, there is a great book that I always recommend. It's called Celtic Heritage by Rees and Rees, R-E-E-S. They were two brothers, last name Rees. And they go through each number. The, the meaning of the number two, number three, number number five is also really important because the number five symbolizes a sacred whole, north, south, east, west, and center. Oh, That's yeah. number five. So if you want to set up a sacred space, um, like say you're out in the forest and you want to do a ritual, you can take five acorns or you could take five stones, uh, but as long as you have those five north south, east, west, and center, that's a whole, that's a sacred space, and you can be between the worlds once you have that set up. That's all part of the culture. They did a fantastic analysis. They went through all these, um, all the old stories that we have, the tales that have been passed down for 2,000 years, and they analyzed them, and they, they took out all the references the common references, and they figured out what the number two meant, the number three, the number four, the number five. It's called Celtic Heritage by Rees and Rees. Highly recommended. Well, thank you. I will be checking that out for sure. I'm definitely into this stuff. And th- that's just a great glimpse at the wealth of information that you share in your books. In your books, you do a lot with talking about what different plants we want to bring in for different ways of contacting the spirits of the dead, creating a sacred space, creating a safe space. Uh, you really do a good job of one by one kind of unpacking that. It's a lot. So I won't claim that I've learned a lot of this in reading it. It's a reference book is my, in my opinion, so that I can go yes. back and look at all that stuff I didn't remember. <laughs> 
Yeah, it should be thought of as a reference book, definitely. It's not something you're going to memorize. <laughs> but, but I mean, people tell me that they, it reads like a novel. They can still read it, but, but don't try to memorize this stuff. The, the best thing to do with it is use it as a practical manual, you know? Yeah. Create a ritual to honor the dead and see which plants you can use. And then, you know, all my books are like that. Uh, they're very practical. They are. Well, can you speak a little bit to why we would want to work with plants in contacting spirits as opposed to just so many people are now opening up to their gifts of psychic abilities and, and being able to contact their ancestors and spirits? Why would we want to use plants in doing that? Just oh, an overview. Well, mainly because the plants will help you to do that. I mean, some people are very, very gifted, and all they have to do is stare at a crack in the floor, and they get messages, you know, <laughs> but, but not, I mean, but not everybody can do that, you know, so there are plants that will actually help you, the smell of the plant, uh, if you burn it on the altar, if you drink the tea, um, it will, some of them open up your third eye, so that you can ha- have more astral communication. You might hear messages or see things. That's why you use the plants. They're plants that are protective, you know, so before you do a ritual, well, first of all, you got to, your intention should probably be to contact a dead person who is nice, (laughs) <laughs> and who is wise. <laughs> Good idea. Want mean, stupid, dead people. Because <laughs> just because they're dead, it doesn't make them brilliant, you know. So, so you want to get herbs that will pull in positive, um, nurturing, sweet energies, right? You want to have herbs that will open up your ability, your third eye, your ability to sense things. You might want to have herbs around that are protective to protect you from any mean spirits that want to come in. You know, you just got to use your sense. You got to think like a Hogwarts magician. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't the media handy for a place to reference some of this stuff so people can get in the mindset of what you're talking about quickly? (laughs) Yeah, so I would say set up your protection you know, there's herbs like juniper is very traditional um, in Scotland, also in France, uh, juniper. You probably have, I'm sure you have that in Texas, right, juniper? Yes, uh-huh. Yeah, so you, they would burn juniper, or you would, you if you had a little piece of juniper wood, I met someone in Ireland that did this, he carried around a piece of juniper wood, and when he wanted to do a ritual, he had a very sharp knife, and he would just shave off, shavings from the piece of wood and he would always start by burning that um and you can also make a necklace of the berries you can wear that around your neck and that would be very very traditional native american tribes use juniper also Mm -hmm. i mean it's just this very protective uh plant that is going to protect you from mean spirits and make sure that uh, only nice things come through. And then um, after you've done that, then you want to use herbs to pull in gentle, positive uh, energies, things like pine, which is known as the tree of peace. You know, you burn some pine, some white cedar. Marshmallow is very good for 
pulling in. That's the herb marshmallow, not marshmallows. <laughs> you burn marshmallows, you get a mess. But if you burn the herb marshmallow, or you could, I mean, you could take a bath in, in marshmallow leaves and flowers or swallow the tincture, make a tea, whatever. But that pulls in very loving sort of uh, gentle spirits. And then um, you want the herbs that are going to help you to communicate with the dead. And, well, there's a lot of those, but um, poplar, aspen poplar is one. Uh, you can actually just hang out under a aspen tree and, you know, the leaves shake. Mm-hmm. Have you ever sat yeah. under a poplar? Yes, it's beautiful sound. Yeah, the leaves just shake. Well, the the tradition is that when that's happening, it's it always happens because a breeze is coming through, right? Mm-hmm. But if you send your intention, say you want to talk to your great grandmother or your great 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 grandmother or something, you can you can tell the tree, contact my great 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 grandmother, and then when the leaves start trembling, when that action happens the wind will carry your intention. Um, And that's how you know that the message has been sent. I mean, there's things like that in the book. Um, I mean, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. But um, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. It's it's not a spooky thing. It's not a negative thing. It's a very sweet thing. Yes, exactly. That's, I, I actually have had a couple of conversations with people who wanted to clear the spirits from their house. And I'm like, have you asked who it is? Have you listened? Have you felt for maybe it's somebody that loves you that's trying to get your attention? Are you sure that it's something that you want to get rid of? We just have a lot of fear around that stuff. Yeah, I, that's true. You need to figure out what kind of an entity it is. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do need to clear the house, Sage is really useful for that. White sage yeah. is very helpful. Um, and you make sure you crack the windows. Juniper is also good for that. That was what they would have used in Scotland. But um, you crack a window or you make sure the door is slightly open and you fumigate the house. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also helpful if you're really trying to get rid of something. While all that is going on, um, you can be drumming or singing and asking the thing to leave so that it gets the message, you know. But you don't have to do it in a nasty way. You just say, move on to your next place. You're not supposed to be here. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Go towards the light. Right. (laughs) Go to the light. You know, don't be here. You're stuck. You need to keep moving, you know. It can all be done in a really positive way. Right. Right. You talk a lot about rituals in in the book, and we are really creating various kinds of little ceremonies and things. You want to speak to the power of ritual and why we would have so much structure around doing those practices? Um, Well, it's just a question of focusing the mind. That's really what ritual is. So it's, I mean, when you go into a church, when you go into a Christian church, you're, there's a very familiar ritual. I mean, it depends what denomination it is, but, you know, it's uh, processing down the aisle, going towards the altar, um, lighting candles, ringing a bell, singing songs, you know, what? it's done every week the same way, mm-hmm. you know. Um, the the minister gives us gives a sermon. Everybody opens the prayer book. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and you know exactly what's going to happen. That is a ritual. It's like 
you know exactly what the steps are. One, two, three, four, five. And it just, it focuses your mind. It helps you to be in the moment. You can forget about all the stuff, the rest of the stuff of your life because you're in this very familiar, repetitive ritual pattern. Um, and then that's what a ritual is. So for people that work with the earth and the earth spirits and the earth energies, we develop our own rituals that we do the same way every year at the certain time. So Samhain always looks like Samhain and Beltane always looks like Beltane and you know, spring equinox looks like spring equinox and fall looks like fall and it's the same every year. It's the wheel of the year. Um, and, you know, you when you're in the ritual, you're between the worlds. You've forgotten the modern day-to-day world. You're not thinking about your job. You're not thinking about the groceries or the cat or the dog or what your kid did in school. You know, you're not thinking about that stuff. You're in, you're between the worlds. You're in a sacred space. You're doing something the way you've done it 50 times before, so you know the steps. And it just helps you to be in the moment and uh, experience what it is you're trying to do at that particular ritual. Does that make sense? It does. I like that explanation. I've had a feeling you'd explain it very well because, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, I do that, but I don't do all that stuff or or ritual might seem like a bother. And so I wanted to hear your take on why it seems important to you. And I agree with that. It, It kind of gives us an expectation of what's coming next so that we don't have to worry about that and we can clear our mind and be present. So that was a really good explanation. Do you have a favorite recipe in the book? You share quite a few of them. A recipe. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> I have the book right here. There's a lot of them. There are. Um, well, let's see. There's some fun ones. I have dandelion wine, slow gin, elderberry sherbet or sorbet. <laughs> uh, I gather elderberries every year. Um, just, uh, I don't know that I have a favorite. But, well, I think I do. I think I have a recipe in here for my acorn cake. I've put that in a couple of books now because I make that every year. In fact, I'm getting ready to make that with my students. Um, And this is something I think is really important. We've also forgotten how to use acorns because we're so fixated on wheat. And as time goes by, more and more people are allergic to wheat. They can't even eat it. And they have to be gluten-free because wheat was only introduced into the human diet around 10,000 years ago. And... Most of us, or a lot of us, have not yet, I mean, maybe you could handle it when you were a kid, and now when you get older, you can't, or you never could handle it. Um, A lot of us have bodies that just can't deal with it. But for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, uh, we ate rice, we we ate acorns. In fact, in in Europe, in European culture, the acorn and probably also the hazelnut, but primarily the acorn, was our main source of carbohydrate. And it's also a very good source of protein. And I always remember the year 2008 when the economy crashed and everybody was in a big panic and people were losing their savings and big companies were going bankrupt and, you know, everybody was was having a really bad time that year. That year was what's called a mast year, which is a year when the acorn trees just went crazy. And, 
you know, the oaks, <laughs> the oaks went crazy. And there were millions and millions and millions of acorns all over the ground. And I kept looking at those acorns and it was like, nature is trying to tell us something. <laughs> nature nature was trying to feed us. You know, here were all these people panicking because they couldn't afford groceries and they couldn't afford their rent and their business was going and losing their savings. And here was nature literally showering us with food, free food, right? Yeah. Um, And I mean, I just think it's terrible that people don't know how to, how to work with acorns. So that a big focus that I have is every year with my herb students, we're going to be doing this um, in two weeks. Uh, We process acorns. I show them how to do it. And um, once you've processed the acorns, uh, you make flour, acorn flour, and people who can't handle wheat, uh, who who need to be gluten-free, can eat acorns. They can eat acorn flour with no problem. And it has all kinds of trace minerals and things that you don't get in wheat. And um, so I have a recipe for acorn cake, and it's an incredible cake. And when people eat it, they they always think there's molasses in it, but there isn't. There's no molasses in there. It's the acorns. What they're tasting is the roasted acorns. Wow. Now I'm going to go look for that recipe and make it. That sounds amazing. And I want to take that part of your course. I wish you'd just order, uh, offer that online so we could learn how to process acorns and make acorn flour. That sounds really interesting. Well, there are actually, if you go online, there are quite a few YouTube um, videos on how to do that. You can look it up. But honestly, I first learned, that's how I first learned. But then, you know, over time, as happens with herbalism, you just keep learning, right? So the method that I use now, which is cold water, I like a lot better. Uh, most people seem to use hot water, but when you use hot water to leach the acorns, uh, you end up losing a lot of the flavor uh, because the hot water, you know, releases the oils. And right. um, so I don't use hot water. I only use cold water. That's my hint. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you for that, too. There's just so much to cover in this book. One little side story that I found interesting was your story about seeing uh, the fairy in the fire or on top of the fire. And I'm curious about fairies. Let's just talk a little about fairies because we haven't had any guests on here talk about fairies before. And you mentioned them throughout the book. So fairies drum up for us these either cute little images or we see the evil little fairies. Can you tell us a little more about fairies? Well, the the cute little fairy idea is a Victorian invention that was popularized by Walt Disney. No offense to Walt Disney, but <laughs> Tinkerbell, that kind of thing. That's not the old Celtic idea of a fairy. Um, well, there's many different kinds of fairies, many different kinds of fairies. In fact, I have a book called Scottish Herbs and Fairy Lore that I wrote that has kind of a dictionary of fairies in the back. Cool. Um, going through all the different kinds of fairies. But in general, fairies are as large as humans. They're not little tiny things. Well, <laughs> they're very different, but um, often they look like nobles. They look like nobility. They have beautiful clothes. Um, they are large. Uh, see, I don't see them. I hear them, and I've heard them multiple times. I've heard them singing. 
Um, I had an experience one time. I happened to be a druid, and we were out in the woods. Um, our grove would always... We, I have a natural stone circle behind the house, so we were out there doing ceremony, and I had a number of musicians in my grove at the time. One of them played the harp. Um, you know, so I, I asked them to play music because the fairies love music, and I knew that. Um, so we were singing, we were playing music, and that was during our ritual. And then we stopped singing, we stopped playing music, we were done, but the music kept going. <laughs> and everybody heard it. It wasn't just me. I was like, oh, do you hear that? And everybody was, <laughs> yes! <laughs> the music kept going. Um, so they were definitely there. Um, but I've heard them singing and, uh, what they sound like, it's, it's incredible. They have this razor sharp three part harmony. And I've been told, I'm not a musician, but I've been told that that kind of three part harmony is the most difficult thing to sing. Um, you know, uh, just a long continuous song that went on and on and on, but the whole thing was in perfect three-part harmony in a language that I didn't understand. I couldn't understand it, but I could hear it. That is so interesting. So they're still here. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, they haven't gone anywhere. But but the thing is, um, they don't like cities. And, and I, I actually have had, I mean, I had read in books about how um, there used to be a lot more of them. And then as the railroads came in and more and more roads and cities came in that there were less and less fairies. So I had read that, but I hadn't personally experienced it. But then I I did a four-day fast in an old-growth forest with a Native American elder. It was four days, no food, no water. Um, But I wasn't starving because literally, like, within an hour of arriving in the forest, I started to hear them. And the song, it just went on for four days. They were driving me crazy. But, they were, <laughs> but the song was really vigorous and beautiful and continuous and loud. And then when the fast was over, I came back to my house, and I live in an oak forest, but but there's roads near me, obviously, and I have neighbors, and they have dogs and cars and, you know, things and leaf blowers and things like that, which drives me nuts. But when I got to my house, the song, I could still hear the song, but it was already slower and fainter. And then when I went into town to buy groceries, because I'd been gone, I had to replenish the food in the house, right? When I, by the time I went into town, there was no song at all. So if we lose the wild places, if we lose the old growth forests and the wilderness areas, we're also, I mean, just like all the other species that are disappearing, exactly. we're losing that whole level of, of existence, too. We're losing the whole fairy realm. That's one more thing that we have to think about. Well, thank you for reminding us. Maybe that's why fairies came up in our conversation today. And they do weave a, they show up in a couple of places in this book. But again, we've been speaking with Ellen Everett Hopman about her latest book, The Sacred Herbs of Samhain, which is an excellent read. And uh, I like to wrap up my interviews by asking guests if you have a parting thought after everything that we've discussed that you'd like to leave us with today. I just want to say, if people want to learn more, if they're interested in all this Celtic stuff, um, we do have a school. It's called Tribe of the Oak, 
uh, tribeoftheoak.com, and uh, people can study there. Um, and people can also contact me at ellenevertotman.com, E-L-L-E-N-E-V-E-R-T-H-O-P-M-A-N.com. Um, and you can write to me and I'd be happy to respond. Wonderful. Yes, we'll have links on the, on the show copy as well for anyone that looks down there. So thank you so much, Ellen, for taking the time to be with us today and for this fabulous book. And I'm going to be going to look for a couple of your other books after this conversation. Well, thank you and happy sound to everybody who hears the podcast. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening today. Let us know what you think. We'd love your feedback at journeyofpossibilities.com. And show us a little financial love, too, so we can keep these shows coming to you at journeyofpossibilities.com slash support. If you listen through one of the popular player platforms, please rate the show so others can find us as well. And we'll see you next time on Exploring Possibilities.